do it. Oh, I see that's been turned off. Good one. Come on. It's working. Okay, good, good, good. What a great time of worship this morning. There was a point there where I had to turn around and look around because I could hear this amazing sound coming, kind of lots and lots of different voices. And I thought, that's not the people behind me, is it? And I had to look around, but I was hearing some kind of supernatural sound that was getting... Wow, yeah, it was. That was amazing, amazing. Come on. Come on. There is a lot of power in this, just declaring the goodness of God in all circumstances, every circumstance, you know, and just standing on the truth of what he has said. Um, I I just want to kick off and just honour these guys as well. Uh, And Linda, I, I once heard a very wise lady called Daphne Kirk. Some of you uh remember her from the old days but she said the main job of a parent is to teach your children how to live and how to die and you know the first bit we kind of do don't we uh, but i can just honestly say with my hand on my heart linda did the second as well i mean she was just all the way through just had such a confidence in where she was going she had no fear whatsoever yes she was in pain and that was something to contend with, but she had no fear and was just really pushing on through everything and was such an example in showing her family, you know, how it's done. And I just want to honour them all for that, how they've really faced into it. They are brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Um, what we're, get, we're, we're on the theme of honour this month and you know yeah it's mother's day and you know one of the primary scriptures of um honor is ephesians 6 let's kind of kick off with that shall we see if it comes up there ephesians 6 13 children obey your parents because you belong to the lord for this is right the right thing to do honor your father and mother this is the first commandment with a promise If you honour your father and mother, things will go well for you and you will have a long life on the earth. And, you know, this is kind of one of the primary scriptures that we look at when we're looking at honour. And I, whilst it's talking specifically about mums and dads and stuff, and and we do honour them. And there is something, there is a flow of life that is released through honour. I'm firmly convinced of it more than ever before that if we choose the way of honour, there is a flow of life that is released into our lives and into our lives corporately and to change our area. Okay, so let's just start off with that. Um, So just remind ourselves, what does what does honour what do we what do we mean by that? And, um, you know, we, we've, we've spoken on this a few times over the last two years, uh, but I'll just kind of recap a little bit that, yes, there's a flow of life. But, but what honour is, is really putting someone else before yourself. It is that whole thing of working. I, the thing that helped me the most was the working hard to make someone else look good. 
You know, so much of what we do is quite sort of self-centered. It's quite, you know, we want to make sure we're okay. We want to make sure we're looking good. We want to make sure things are working out for us and that we're covered and all of that. But there is, a, there is something that happens when we choose to put that down and instead work hard to make someone else look good. Now, you know, what, what does that mean? Uh, and we've, you know, we've looked at it in church. We've looked at sort of what the, what the process of that. that. That can be very practical things, can't it? It can be kind of joining in with something. As someone puts their head up above the parapet and said, let's do this or let's just stand together. And th- there is something very honouring if we stand rather than taking the point, well, I don't do standing. Um, uh, I, don't, I don't do declarations. Um, I don't do this. I don't do that. There is something very honouring in laying down our own preferences in order to honour that person that has stood up to take a lead. And it's, it's like the same in worship. You know, if someone's leading worship or whatever, and they say, right, let's, let's bring our, our thanksgivings to the Lord or whatever, just kind of short fire prayers, come and form a queue up here. You know, there is something very honouring in just saying, yeah, I really want to make that work for Nath. Let's kind of quickly, let's get up there and let's join in. And I'm telling you, this, there is something that gets released in this dying to our own preferences, our own desires, our own fear of man, everything else that would stop us from joining in with what's going on. There is a life that is released when we do it. I, I've had kind of the, the most amazing example of that. And Nigel's talking about how when he met with the presence of God, I met with the presence of God in an amazingly powerful way. When I took a decision to do exactly that, to, to, to just put away what I looked like, to, to just not worry about what people thought about me, to not worry about whether I liked the music or not, or whether I... You know, uh, I was in this terrible place, <laughs> hot, uncomfortable, bad music, ever, you know, really. Good. And the Lord just challenged me to say, worship me in that place and to put down all of your preferences, all of your all of the things that are important to you in that moment and just join in, just join in. And in doing so, as I just took that decision to die to what was important to me in that moment, the presence of God came on me in such a way as I have never been the same since. It, it was just, just amazing. And so there is something that gets released. It, once we begin to adopt this culture of honour, this whole, and by culture of honour, I'm not kind of, forget the Bethel kind of uh, little acronyms and all of this sort of stuff. I'm really just talking an atmosphere of honour, an atmosphere where people, the first thing they think is, how can I honour that person? How can I make that person look better? You know, it happens in our conversations as we're chatting to each other. And when we're talking about something, you know, maybe when we go home and we sit around the table, that there's a, there is something in the English culture which loves to just dwell on the things that didn't quite work properly. You know, perhaps the sound wasn't quite right. The sound was beautiful this morning. <laughs> Fantastic. That, that was a for instance. Um, the, I've got to get watch myself. I don't get in trouble. 
the word was rubbish, you know, he couldn't string two words together. We love to just kind of point out and, and amplify. And it's an English thing. I worked for a company that started off as Plessy and became Siemens. And I used to say if that, if, if, if they could harness the negative energy in that place, we would finish our power requirements for the, for the next kind of 10 generations. It would like, it would just thrived on just telling negative stories and how bad things were and how awful something, oh, this awful thing happened to me and all of that. I just think there is something in honour that when we begin to talk about someone, we remember all the good bits. We're not denying the bad bits. We're not saying the bad bits aren't there. But we're not just focusing on them. We're not amplifying them. We're not drawing them up. We're just making that person look good whether they're there or not. It's a lifestyle. It's a choice that you begin to make. So that's what honour can look like. Submitting to one another. You know, that there is something to do with the way that we work together and the way that we just have a desire to bless one another above ourselves. And, you know, we can do this like getting to something on time when we're when someone's arranged something, whether it's a meal or a dinner or a worship practice or a something, you know, of just honouring the person that's put themselves out to organise the thing by by doing that. Just a thought. And just really trying to make sure that things go well for people. Wanting a heart that says, I really want them to succeed. You know, we can have this with our other churches. And, I, you know, I always remembered that I, the Lord spoke to me once and said, you know, we will not see revival in this church until we have got such a heart to see the other churches in the area get to revival before we do. You know, there's got to be that heart inside there that doesn't want it for ourselves. We want it. Yes, we want it because... We want to experience God and it's right to pursue that. But if we have the heart that will want to bless the other churches and just say, just cheer them on and, and say, get the breakthrough first. We'll come along. We'll, we'll help put the seats out. You know, we'll do whatever with just to bless them and really desire something for them. That is the heart of honor, heart of honor for the other churches, not wanting ourselves to look good, but just being desperate for our friends and our partners to look good. Whoa. So, here we go then, working on, yes, we'll leave that. We'll come back to working on the dreams of others. This, this is one of the scriptures that we've looked at uh, quite a few times. I shall read it out again, but we'll look at it from a slightly different um, standpoint today. Mark 6, 1 to 6. Jesus left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. The next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue and many who heard him were amazed. And they asked, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? And then they scoffed. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas and Simon. And his sisters are right here among us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe him. Then Jesus told them, a prophet is honoured everywhere except in his own hometown and among his relatives and his own family. 
And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. And Jesus went from village to village teaching the people. I think this is an amazing scripture. It just speaks to me every time I read read it in a, in a different way. And I mean, from it, I think we can we can see that a couple of things. Number one, that where honour is absent, okay, where honour is absent from a culture, it actually staunches the flow of the supernatural. You know, because they took this attitude um, and did not honour him as he was in other places as he went in and taught. There was an honour that was kind of poured out onto him. He wasn't able to do many miracles on them except heal a few sick people. Perhaps where that bit of honour was there, I don't know. It doesn't say that, does it? But that's the kind of inference that um, it was only where that honour was. And I, I, I think I felt that before. You know, I felt it. For example, when Isabel was prophesying over me, I, I, I felt like there was something in me that could draw something out of her when she was prophesying. But just by the way that I was honouring her and receiving the words that she, she was speaking, I got a feeling that if I'd have just said, OK, that's it then, and, and kind of got ready, to, it would have stopped. But as it was, she kind of went on and on and on and on and on, like for about 15 minutes or so, and just was declaring these amazing things. And I've seen it. I've seen it in different places where there is an honour. You can draw something out of the heart of of someone God has anointed. And where there is dishonour, might as well go home. You know, it's like it will just stop. It will just be empty words. There is something about the atmosphere of honour that draws the anointing out. And that's something that we want to create. That's why we're going through these things again. That's why we're in the second year of this now, because there's new people along who perhaps haven't heard some of this stuff. And uh, so we we want to keep them. There are kind of foundation stones, if you like, like this culture of honour, like the goodness of God and the things that we just want to get in there, which are there for every generation of believer that comes through this place. Honour is good. The second thing that we can kind of pull out of this, and it's something I've not really seen before, but they were deeply offended. And I suddenly saw this connection between honour and offence and how easy it is to um, get offended and, uh, you know, I, I came to the conclusion that offence is actually one of the main things that the enemy uses to stop something happening. When people get offended, they shut down. They shut down and find it very difficult to receive. Let's have a look at one or two other. Jesus said in Matthew 11:6, blessed is he who is not offended because of me. He said to his disciples, it is impossible that no offenses should come. And so he's saying you are going to get offended. OK, but then he also says, be not offended. And it also says in John 6:56, many of Jesus disciples left him 
because they were offended. He said some tough things at various times, you know, if you'll eat my body and drink my blood and all of that. And they, the disciples found it too hard. They were offended by what he said. They harbored that offense in their heart. It closed down honor and they had to walk away. They had to walk away from what was going on. And, you know, I think Jesus just had a knack of offending people. Sometimes he was just downright offensive at different times, particularly to people who thought they knew what was going on. You know, the religious people, basically, the people who rejected him because he didn't come in the package that they were expecting. He came as a little baby born out of wedlock. It offended them. It offended them greatly that their great Messiah should come in this humble sort of beginning. And so because of that offense, it blocked. They couldn't see. They couldn't see the life and the answer to all their prayers and prophecies that had come for the previous hundreds of years were fulfilled before them because of their offense. Sometimes, you know, I think I think Jesus used to offend people purposely. You know, like he used to talk to his disciples in a very rude manner. You brood of vipers, you've got no faith, you know, how long must I bear with you and all of this sort of stuff. I mean, you would have thought he could have thought of a, a kind of a more gentle way to actually encourage his disciples along. But I think sometimes he was kind of giving them the opportunity to overcome an offence. He said it's impossible that offences will not come. I'm not saying that we should perhaps be purposefully offensive to each other in order to give people the opportunity. But overcoming offence is a big thing. It's a big thing for us to to grapple with it is probably one of the main things that we have to get hold of in our walk as a christian and i will say that offense is probably the main thing that stops people from stepping into their destiny because they've got to a point where they said thus far and no more they've kind of just brought the shutters down got offended by something and just refused to Go on. You know, thinking back a few years now, 1994-ish, when that amazing time in the Holy Spirit kind of broke out, one of the main things that made me think, this is God, Toronto, was because it was so offensive. Because it came in a package that a lot of people who thought they knew what they were talking about couldn't grasp. And, you know, I had all sorts of funny things going on then. I had people coming up to me wanting me to sign declarations and say this was of the devil and this was this, that and the other. And I said, no, I wouldn't do that. I haven't even been there. How can I do that? You know, I don't know what's happening there. And it was actually when I got there, I I managed to visit there because I went on a business trip uh, to Toronto and managed to get a day just to pop in. I got in there and I thought, Oh, this is lovely. You know, the Holy Spirit's here. And, you know, people are full of the love of Jesus. They really are. And it is just amazing. And so, you know, people 
back home had taken offence before they'd even got in it. They were just they were just offended by what people said. People had said that they'd said, you know, and had like taken an entrenched position even then. And their offence stopped them from moving on. Anyway, we won't kind of dwell on that because uh, it, that's not so important. Let's have a look. I just wanted to. Yep, we've said that. Joseph. Joseph is a story which just keeps coming back to me again and again and again. And uh, I've kind of likened some of my journey to his his journey. He was an amazing man and had an amazing influence on his generation. Uh, He saved an entire nation um, from extinction, almost from dying from famine in the land. Um, But it wasn't an easy ride for him, was it? Now, I don't go through the whole story because it's actually about 10 chapters and would take too long. But the gist of it was Joseph was one of the youngest of, of all his brothers, the youngest. And he was favored by his father. And the Lord gave him a dream that said he would be great. Okay, two dreams, in fact. Had one dream with the stars bowing down and another dream of the weeps of sheaf bowing down. And it seemed to indicate that his father and his mother and his brothers would bow down to him. And he was quite encouraged by this prophetic word that he'd received. And he wrote it in his journal and kept it all quiet. No, he didn't. He blabbed it all out. And it wasn't received too well. And the journey that he went on from that from that word coming out, he was chucked in a pit by his brothers, sold into slavery. He, you know, obviously was bought up by Potiphar and uh, used as a slave. God blessed him in that in that position. And the favor of God was on him. Everything he put his hand to succeeded. He must have thought. Hey, it's starting to happen now. I'm getting a little bit of influence. And then suddenly he was falsely accused and thrown into jail. The whole thing was taken back down to nothing again. And again, the Lord blessed him while he was in prison. And all of the work of the prison was prospered and went well while he was there because God was with him. And then suddenly he gets the opportunity to interpret a couple of dreams for some of the inmates, which turn out to be true. And again, he must think, that's it. You know, I'll be out of here soon because they'll go and have a word with Pharaoh and get me out of this place. But he was forgotten, I think, for another two years. I mean, like a long time, a long time. But then all of a sudden, just something changes Pharaoh has a dream and the, the wine bearer, I think, remembers and says, hey, there's this Hebrew guy who can interpret dreams. And he was whisked out of <coughs> whisked out of prison and brought in to interpret this dream. And the interpretation finds the peace in uh, Pharaoh's heart. And he says, yes, that's it. Right. And completely puts him in charge of the whole nation. Many of you know the story. Forgive me for going through it again. But there are new Christians here. We need to. Not always think, oh, yeah, everyone knows this. But so. but one of the key things about this story, I believe, is that Joseph never got offended as he went on. 
He never harboured that plate. Well, not that's written down. Um, and perhaps those are the kind of salient points that we're picking out here. But he never judged his brothers who were horrible to him, kind of like seriously bad to him. They beat him up, chucked him down a pit, sold him into slavery, left him for dead. They really did not care. And yet he still found it in his heart when his brothers came asking for food to Egypt. He wept to see them. Compassion filled his heart. He couldn't have done that if there was judgment or bitterness in his heart. He must have forgiven them. He must have forgiven them and he must have uh, not taken on offence. And because he had that heart and because he allowed that heart within him, God trusted him with all of the finances of Egypt in that time. He became the second most important man in the country. In fact, he says, yes, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many people. I think we've done that. I sometimes don't follow the order. Um, so Jesus. Jesus was even called the rock of offence at one stage. I'm placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem chosen for great honour and anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Yes, you who trust him recognise the honour God has given him. But for those who reject him, the stone that builders reject has now become the cornerstone. And he is the stone that makes people stumble, a rock of offence. And a offence in that case means a stumbling block. That's the, that's the literal word. It actually causes people to fall. So, okay, offence then can stop us stepping into our destiny. Honour, conversely, enables us to kind of totally embrace everything that God has got for us. It gets that flow going and enables us to step into it. Offence stops it. So how do we not get offended? What, what, are the, what are the keys to this? And that's the third area that I just want to look at. So we've looked at honour. We've looked at offence. Um, yeah, we've done that. We've done that. Mystery. And... I really believe that this is kind of one of the key things that we have to grasp at the moment. I've been learning a lot of this from um, Bill Johnson's book, um, Dreaming with God. It's a really, really excellent book. I'm loving it. I've kind of read it about three times in different bits. But there are some bits which I'm just really receiving into my heart. And one of them is about this mystery. Let's just read a couple of these scriptures. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search out a matter. You know, sometimes we say, look, why doesn't this just happen? Why doesn't it happen now? I need the money right now. Why must I wait until next week? Okay. And there is something in the kingdom where the Lord 
lays things out almost uh, and bill talks about it as being he hides things for us to find it's a little bit uh, he tells the story of like when you play hide and seek with a little toddler i mean you don't hide yourself in such a way that they would never ever find you you know kind of up in the loft with the door bolted and all of that stuff they would get kind of fed up within 10 minutes and uh, and so on. but you perhaps would hide behind a table with your legs sticking out ready for them because of the delight of the parent in the child finding of actually getting the result you want them to find you it's like the easter egg hunts isn't it you you don't hide them kind of like in a place where they would never ever be fine for the little toddlers they're kind of right on the path in the middle of the thing look there's one and you love them to find the things that are hidden that's the way it is with god he there is something about pursuing him going after him there is a process that he wants us to just continually seek him to go after him but he's not hidden things so incredibly maturely that we will never ever find them he has hidden things for us to find and if we will set our hearts on just seeking those things out he will reveal them to us matthew 13 he answers and said to them because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven but to them it has not been given and he was talking to his disciples that when they said why do you talk in parables why why don't you just say what you mean you know why don't you just give us a manual one two three do this and then this will happen but he didn't he spoke because There are these mysteries of heaven that we just don't understand, but bit by bit they get unfolded to us if we have the heart to always think the best about God, to always declare his goodness and to not allow ourselves to get offended. And this is the key. It's okay not to understand We can embrace that mystery, okay? For example, do I believe in healing? Do I believe that when Jesus died on the cross, his shed blood, the process that he went through, broke the curse that came on the earth when Adam and Eve chose to sin, totally and completely? Like Nigel was saying that, you know, we have the fullness of the garden restored back to us. Does it always happen? No, it does not. Why? I don't know. That is one of the mysteries of God. And I think in order for us to not get offended, that is what we have to begin to come comfortable with. Not so comfortable that it stops us moving on. Because we know the truth. The truth is written down. The truth is in the word and we keep proclaiming it. We keep declaring it. We keep celebrating the good news of the things that do happen. But when it doesn't happen, we must not allow our hearts to be offended. But to set ourselves afresh, just as Nigel's encouraged us today to do. To kind of pick ourselves up, dust ourselves down. And the next person, we will pray like there is no tomorrow because that is what we believe and that is where we are going there are many 
yeah, we mustn't bring God down to our level of understanding. If we try and make everything so logical and so, well, this happened because, then he will stop becoming a supernatural God and he will become a human being. At the end of the day, that's where faith comes in. Faith is kind of being sure of something that you can't see. It's kind of holding on to it. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's like it's the thing that propels us forward, that pushes us forward, even though we haven't got the substance right in our hand at that moment. Hannah, she was barren, uh, the mother of Samuel. And, you know, you can look at those situations and say, why did God let her go through that terrible situation, you know, that that she was persecuted by her co-wife. I tried to think of a politically correct term to put there um, in this day and age. But the other wife, you know, she just goaded her and teased her and just sort of said, oh, you've got no kids and I've got loads. I've got a motorbike. You haven't got one. And, you know, she went through misery. It was tough. And but. Instead of allowing it to offend her, it drove her to desperation before God so that she would come and just pour out her heart. And in that moment, she connected and she didn't just kind of have a load of kids, but she had the kid that changed the whole of society. You know, up until Samuel came, the voice of God had not been heard for many years in the land when Samuel came back on it was the first prophetic voice that had been brought back and I just think there was something in the process of just seeking God for deliverance for Israel in that place that that made it happen this annoys me this verse Proverbs twenty twenty one: an inheritance gained hastily at the beginning will not be blessed in the end. I always say, God, why is this taking so long? You know, why is it not just do it now? Now is when we need it. Now is when we need the money, not kind of next month or the month after. It's now. And, you know, but it has been a process, hasn't it? We have been on quite a long journey altogether. We are still as sure of the destination as the day we began. That is where we are heading. We are heading to the place where everyone gets healed, where all believers live in divine health. I believe that is God's heart. I seriously do. Jesus did it on the cross. Therefore, there is no need for us to carry it. We're not there yet. Perhaps we kind of know it in our minds, but we haven't received it quite in our hearts yet or whatever i don't know but that's where we're going we believe that he is laid up the riches of the ungodly for the righteous that's what his word says there is going to be a transference of wealth that finances a great revival that happens in this in this world before jesus comes back you know these are the things we believe and we will continue to confess we will continue to pursue we will continue to go after and encourage one another with all of these things. How are we doing? Many had to embrace that mystery. Smith Wigglesworth 
who just like many people read his books and say he had fantastic, you know, there was kind of miracles happened, thousands of people got saved. I believe it was, I think it was his daughter that was profoundly deaf right the way through his life. Never got healed. And yet he saw all of these other people healed. It's kind of the same with Bill Johnson. His son, Eric, is 85% deaf in both ears and has seen about 60 people healed of deafness completely. You know, like ears just pop open and they can hear completely. And yet he is still deaf. And this is where you hold on to the truth that healing is coming. But even if it doesn't, he is still good. The truth of the word is he wants to heal. And that's where we mustn't let offence get in, but keep that whole culture of honour going. There we go. I think this is the summing up bit. That looks kind of similar to that. So how do we stay in this honour? How do we keep that? whole kind of culture of honor going and and i think we we've just got to embrace that mystery we have we've we've got to keep proclaiming the truth but when it doesn't go our way we mustn't throw our toys out the pram but just keep our confession strong you know he is good there is no bad in him at all he is just goodness and only has goodness to give you know if We, being human, know how to give good gifts to our children. How much more the Father in heaven will give us good stuff, the Holy Spirit in particular. He is the God that heals us. That's our confession, and that is what we must stick to. Continue declaring the words spoken over our lives and the destiny that God has for us. Don't let it throw us off course but keep on pressing forward for the sake for the sake of all of those people out there who are dying who don't know Jesus you know those are the ones that we need to fight for day day in day out let go of the need to understand everything understanding is good don't let me say don't let it be reported of me that I'm expecting you all to become mindless you know happy clappies that's not true Not at all. He's given us minds to understand things, but we don't need to understand everything. And it's okay to say, I don't know. He's still God. We praise him and trust him. There you go. Quarter past. Look at that. (laughs) That's excellent.